welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are. Can't believe we're already tiptoeing our way into February. Boom, one-twelfth of the year done just like that. How do we do it? Don't know. Just time goes fast, man. Thanks to our Patreon supporter for this episode, Glenn Dennehy. Glenn, what's going on down there in Texas? Hope everything is going all right, bud. Thank you for supporting the podcast and to all the folks who support it through Patreon you know, if you give uh, $7 a month or more for the podcast, you get involved with Club 52, which is a weekly email in your inbox prodding you along, giving you actionable tactics and strategies to get bigger, better, and more bookable. And you also get to join a Zoom hangout every quarter. We just did that um, about 15 days ago or so, and that was a lot of fun. Good to always to catch up with everybody and see what's going on. And uh, we'll have another one of those coming up soon. So you can get in on the next one if you join through Patreon now. So thanks again, Glenn and everybody else out there. Today, we are going to discuss Dave Chappelle's acceptance speech for the 2019 Mark Twain Prize, the Humor Award, as some folks call it. Uh, this prize was given out a little, just a little while ago, a few months ago, and I wanted to do a podcast on it. And you know how it is at the end of the year for a clean comedian, there's a lot of company parties and shows just didn't have time to sit there and, and give it its just due but i had a chance to finally do that this uh, past week with our podcast editor and funny man doc kennedy we just kind of talked about the different points he brought up in the short speech it's eight minutes long i don't have the audio to the speech on the podcast because i don't know how to get the rights to it and i didn't want to just pop it on there and and uh, take somebody's copywritten material. So I've included a link in the show notes, and the link should be visible in all players. I would recommend listening to it, watching it for yourself. Uh, it's a YouTube link. And then listen to the podcast if you can. If you can't do that right now, go ahead and listen to me yak about it, and then watch it. We cover it pretty detailed, so you won't miss too much if you don't get a chance to see it first. But I thought he was pretty eloquent in his acceptance of the speech, and the points that he touched on, uh, even though it was briefly that he touched on, were pretty accurate, dead on. And it was worth it's worth watching just to see how he gives some credit to his mom, which I thought was excellent and extra cool. So that'll be coming up here in just a second. And before we roll it, I just want to encourage you uh, to maybe leave an iTunes review. I'm going to do this. For the first 10 posted Apple reviews of 2020, uh, I want you to... If you want to review the show, then take a screenshot of the review. You can send that to schooloflaughs at gmail.com, and I'll reply back with a, a PDF of two tools that I used in the Master Laughter class. They are punchline checklist tools and a, a target list to make sure when you're writing a joke, you've got a couple of the essentials in there, and you can look through this checklist on the the punchline side of things to make sure you actually have a strong punchline, not just a meandering opinion that never pays off. So that will go out to the first 10 posted Apple reviews of 2020. Uh, if you're hearing this on the day of release, jump in there and uh, I'll follow up on the next episode with some of the reviews, read them on the air, 
and automatically send you this PDF. So grab that while you can, folks. I thank you for your support. And now let's get into this discussion of the acceptance speech Dave Chappelle gave for the Mark Twain Prize in late, late 2019. Welcome to this podcast. Rick Roberts here. Got Doc Kennedy across. How's it going today, buddy? It's going great, Rick. Hey, I'm glad you're here with me because I wanted to discuss, uh, and I want to do this for a couple months, but just now I had time. Dave Chappelle and his uh, Mark Twain Award acceptance speech that he did in October. Um, there's some some video floating around that reminded me of it the other day. I'm like, ah, he had some really great stuff he said in there. I'd like to kind of get into it. Yeah, that was so cool, too, because I had I didn't even know that he got it in October, and I just saw that clip this week. Oh, really? So this, is, this will work <laughs> It's a Christmas you. miracle. Yeah, he, um, he said a lot of really cool things in there, and... Um, comics i think can learn from from a lot of it so i'm just going to hit maybe eight or eight or so bullet points from the eight minute speech first off I, I looked at the audience like you can see some comics in there like if you look at the audience the 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 right side of the room was in tuxes and then right <laughs> in front of him were, were comics and and peers who were a little less dressed up which i thought was cool yeah which is the way i'd want it if i had to do an award speech because the the suits kill everything and to have those people that have been on the journey with you. That was the right cool there. part. Yeah. That was a cool part. And, you know, and he made it clear that they were part of that journey with him. Yeah, very clear that he you know, grew up in Ohio, but then moved to D.C. and went to his performing arts high school. And kind of his mom was very stu- studious and helped him kind of get where he is. And uh, I'll get to her part here in a second. But I, I'm just going to kind of go through the, the speech he gave. It was only eight minutes, and I'm just going to hit a few highlights of things that I liked, and we can kind of discuss a little bit. But one of the first things he says when he comes out is that uh, stand-up comedy is an incredibly American job. I don't think any other country can produce as many comedians as we have. Nor should they, maybe. Because <laughs> there's, there's maybe way too many comedians yeah, sure. in America. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, is it incredibly American? I mean, it is from the, the standpoint that I think that we have freedom of speech. We can voice our opinions. Not every country can do that. But there are, are, are others that can. But, you know, outside the U.S. and Canada, who do you think – has more comics, you know. It would have to be Britain. Yeah, Great Britain area, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and, and they can say what they want over there. Sure. So I don't know if it's incredibly American, but we've definitely commercialized in excess. For sure. The amount of comics that are in the country, for sure. Yeah. He kind of came out and said that, and then his first point that's kind of set up the rest of the speech was, there's not an opinion that exists in this country that is not represented some night at every comedy, you know, at any comedy club in the country, there's some comic voicing that opinion. So whatever opinion you have, there's a champion in the room, in the comedy room, yeah. comedy club, for your voice, which I think that's probably true. Probably. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> there's so many opinions. Yeah. I don't know if there's a comic to that can successfully or commercially especially sure. represent that on stage. But there are, if you look long enough and hard enough, somebody on stage has a similar point of view that you can get into. Yeah. You might have to find it at an open mic, but you'll find it somewhere. That's true too. Like <laughs> it, it, and if it is an open mic, it may be so yet to be defined that you could see it and not know that's what they're going for. But so I just want to run past you when you were growing up, like when comedy was on TV or whatever, who had a voice on stage that you kind of resonated with as far as like, ah, oh, I kind of like their sense of humor and their point of view. Yeah, for me it was Jay Leno with the Tonight Show monologue. 
I just love the setup punch, setup punch. And you'll see that in my act today. I just love that. Um, and he was going after things at that time. It would have been Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't afraid to shy away from it. And they didn't spend a ton of time on that, too. You know, you would hit it and then you'd go into whatever else was funny for that day. Yeah. It was very topical in both sense that it's it's the news topic of the day, but it's, but it's just the very top. We're not going to dig deep into it. We're going to keep it kind of silly and goofy. Yeah. I mean, you could have drummed on the Monica Lewinsky stuff forever. Yeah. But, you know, they made the wise call of just, you know, you get your jokes off of that real quick and then move into something else. Right. Try, try, you know, especially when you're trying to appeal to such a broad audience. On yeah. Network TV, you don't want to like just beats a dead horse. Sure. And, well, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we're seeing today where they are beating that dead horse for sure. Especially uh, Colbert. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of, you know, from what I've heard that saved his job. Yeah. Well, he, he kind of, you know, to his uh, business acumen's point of view yeah you you pick something and you niche down hard and then you got a big support from those folks sure which he better be pulling for a re-election here because well, he's going to be out of work that's too. you gotta be careful what you wish for because yeah. if it's all roses and uh roses and cotton candy you got nothing to make fun of that's right yeah I, you know when i grew up i really gosh i liked all kinds of comics but i think the first guy that really knocked me over was steve martin yeah and just seeing his King Tut thing, when that happened, and he was on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> I was just like, that is the funniest thing ever. Rode into town on a donkey, my favorite honky, that whole thing. Like, I was just <laughs> dying laughing. And then, you know, I like Dennis Miller, his approach to the Weekend Update. I thought he was smart, clever, and and, and sometimes I had to go look up a word or two. Yeah. You know, uh, and Bill Cosby, too. Just sure. the storytelling ability of sitting there and just keeping you your mind occupied with all these characters. Yeah. And I don't think my comedy reflects any of those three. There might be a glimpse of a punchline here and there, but it's it's where you find your own your own voice, which was a, the next thing that he brings up in this speech that Chappelle gave was, Miles Davis has a quote, it took me years to learn how to play like myself. Yeah. And man, you know, he's saying that about him on stage, but every comic is, when you first start out, you're kind of, I always call it training wheels comedy. You're riding the bike of your favorite comedian for a while till you crash and you have to get your own bike. <laughs> so the training wheels are the, the... That's a great analogy. Well, just think about, gosh, if you just divided comics who are overly heavily influenced by David Tell or Mitch Hedberger, just the voice of those two and the rhythm and the pace. You know, I saw a glimpse of a, a clip on Drybar yesterday. It was in my feed. And the everything was Mitch Hedberg except for the content. Sure. The, and this guy looked nothing like him or anything, but it's just like <laughs> he stole the whole delivery system. Yeah. So he's still in his training wheel stage uh, and, and doing okay. Yeah. But, the, you know, those training wheels are so strong. Sure. For him. <laughs> when you first uh, started doing some stand-up, you, you mentioned Jay Leno, but was there any other voices that you've caught yourself? I mean, I, I know for sure uh, – and this sounds kind of weird, but for me, I had a, a Dice Clay phase yeah. as well as a Foxworthy phase. <laughs> and then I had a bit with both of them in it. But did you ever find yourself on stage oh, sure. listening back going, oh, man, that kind of sounds a little bit like... Yeah, Seinfeld. Was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easily. I had... Uh, there was this interview that he did in the 80s with Larry Wilde. Mm-hmm. And I had bought these CDs. Um, there was one with him, and I had one with Johnny Carson and some other guys. But that one was Seinfeld. I, I still know the whole thing. Uh-huh. And he was just talking about doing comedy. And so 
picking apart bits, which is still a big, big thing for me, pulling words. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't stand wordy setups. Uh, it still annoys me, uh-huh. you know. And so I, I take that serious to try to get my setup as tight as possible. If I can get a laugh in there, that's awesome. But that's that's very Seinfeld-ish. Uh-huh. And then also uh, just some of the delivery of what a bit might sound like. Right, right. That's cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, with Leno, I wasn't seeing his act, so I was seeing him do, you know, jokes that other people had written for him. But it was... I just love the setup punch because I was getting a laugh so quick uh-huh. and I, I love doing crowd work now. So, you know, watching him do banter, even with Kevin, you know, on the side and right. all that stuff. I, I just love that. Yeah. I, I do love the idea of having a sidekick where you can just like bounce some things off and sure. the audience is there with you. But, you know, and Carson did that so great with his, you know, I grew up in the Carson era. So. Yeah. Uh, and they had recently had that Carson channel on Sirius XM, and I could not get enough of it. I think I heard every episode. At least really? Once. Oh, yeah. Just how how quickly he would acknowledge in the monologue if something wasn't working right or if, uh, maybe we shouldn't have done it that one. Or and, and then there was one where he had to come out and apologize. I think it was because, gosh, it was, it was a very minor affliction, but an affliction that people had. Okay. He made a joke about it, got some letters, but, but he was heartfelt the next day. He's like, you know, I... Even when we were going over that joke, I probably I realized I probably shouldn't tell it, but some people have that, and I apologize. Huh. So it, you don't hear a lot of that anymore. Sure, where people just own it and go, "Let's okay, let's move on." Yeah, that's cool. And then there's another thing that he says in here, and he says it at the top, but he'll defend the art form and people's right to to do their material and their content. And he talks about he'll be watching a guy that he knows is racist on stage. Which I'm not sure who that is, but yeah, I, I sure. like to know. Cause, uh, you, He's definitely got somebody in mind. He has somebody in mind. So, the, but most most get weeded out over time. Yes, but he'll go. Oh, but uh, man, I like the way he constructed that joke. So yeah. I can even see the the artistry behind the content, even if the content I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I know you're big on the PC antenna, and that's what he's basically saying right there. Is yeah. like he has the right to say what he wants. You can decide if you like it or not, or listen to him any further that's or right. not. But I'll defend stand-up as the art form that allows us to discuss things. Yes. And that when comics look at the rest of the world arguing, and we'll go up and talk about you guys, and we'll talk through it amongst ourselves, and he would do the same thing with somebody he saw on stage being racist. You might even buy him a beer later and go, hey, I like the way you wrote that joke. Yeah. You know, maybe don't like the joke, but I can see that you're a, a skilled craftsman of the art. Yeah. And I, I believe it's, it's foolish of comedians to not back people that don't share their point of view just because they do have that freedom to say that you can go counter that Mm -hmm. if you want put that in your act you know but it's important to uh, not say hey this person shouldn't be saying this you know uh, somebody was trying to push during the um, democratic debates they're trying to push that trump should be taken off twitter yeah are you kidding me that you know that's a total strip of freedom you know, if you don't like Trump's tweets, don't listen. Right. Don't read them. You know, it's a very simple solution. Yeah. That's Carlin. You say, uh, if you don't like what you're hearing on the radio, there's a knob. <laughs> Turn it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I also think it's important to, and I, I try to do this with Netflix, especially if I don't know a comic, try just to watch a little bit and maybe 
sometimes I'll end up watching the whole thing, but usually I watch five or ten minutes. But that's not for me. I can yeah. see they're pretty good. I see why they have a following. You know, to bring it back to what we're talking about with David Chappelle, he's like, you know, I can respect your artistry behind what you delivered. Well, sure. And that's that's the way I felt about that, and I thought that was pretty cool. And then. It, I like the fact that he gave a shout out to Neil Brennan, who yeah, did the Chappelle show for, sure. for many years, and, and said that his special made him cry. He added a punchline to it. But, you know, if you watch Neil Brennan's special, where he talks about his depression and wanting to drive off the road and, you know, all this, all these things that he went through, it, it's just another, it shows you, again, there, there's a lot of depth to some comedy. It's not just everybody's an idiot. It's like, oh, sure. I have to laugh at these things because if I can't, I'm suicidal. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. Well, I know that there's a even, you know, and more with the open mic scene is there's a lot of comics that for them, it's therapy. Mm-hmm. That's why they're there. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that, you know, I appreciate that they have that opportunity to just go vent, you know, and hopefully it's funny, but that's where there are. And, you know, everybody's on a different journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I admire a lot of those comics that I would like to just go and not, not have anything written down except for. This made me sad today. <laughs> Just go talk about it for 10 minutes and find some comedy instead of trying to, to wield the pen and erase her so much. But, yeah, it's, it, there's a lot of stuff to be heard out there. And the last couple of things he talked about, Dave Chappelle, when he accepted the, the Mark Twain Award, which I thought was really cool and what we should all be trying to do in some aspect, no matter what kind of comedy we have, is his mom taught him the, the word griot, which he said in Africa as a kid who all – the storytellers and all the elders tell their stories too. And that kid becomes the storyteller over his lifetime. And so he, he carries on the oral tradition of the area and all the legendary stories, whether they're true or not true, but he keeps that catalog in his head so that there's always a voice to be heard. And I'd imagine not only did did that start like all oral tradition history, just so we would remember our stories, but when there is, um, beyond political correctness where there's censorship and people take away books and burn books, um, you still have the griots who know the real story. I mean, the Holocaust, another great example. Yeah. Uh, all the people that doubt that it ever happened and all these things. Well, the oral tradition, you know, the Jewish people are great storytellers as a culture, but to be able to tell those stories is something that he learned from his, his mom. And so she told them stories of their family, and, and he as a performer and an artist and a comedian is bringing stories to the stage that need to be told, and once they're documented in a, a special, they're they're, to, they're they're there forever they're there. too. So the, yeah. the Netflix can be a griot in its own way, <laughs> and HBO when they record a special with somebody. But I thought that was pretty interesting, and and yeah. and it made me think I should probably whether I take it to the stage or not's a whole different thing. But t- to keep digging into stories from my relatives. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? for sure. And my dad's starting to lose his memory, and sometimes some of the stories he doesn't remember. You know, it's not that he won't remember the story. He might forget a detail or a name, or he literally five minutes later forgot that he just told me all that. Oh, wow. So it's it's gotten to that point. But I also think maybe just at home, whenever I go visit, try to get some more stories out of them yeah. before they're gone. Yeah, for know? sure. But is that Well, and that's a great way for him to refresh and really, you know, I've heard a lot about that actually helping people that are slipping to regain momentum in their memory. It like reconnects the synapses yeah. a little bit and those, those um, connected, the connectivity of the synapses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've read a lot about that too and how it, they can do an MRI and see the brain waves just change and, and really start to go crazy in a part of the brain when they look kind of dormant. Yeah, it would be a win for both of you. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, I've never a- asked to record him, and I don't know if he'd want to. He might be overly self-aware now. 
But I, I'd love to have my, my folks on the show, too. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. You know, ask, <laughs> have them tell some stories <laughs> about uh, pretty much almost kicked me out of the house, and I deserved <laughs> it back in the day. So I'm just that, thinking in, in terms of your life, is there, are there mm-hmm. stories that have been handed down from your family that, that you haven't got to on stage yet that you oh. want to explore, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and it, I've tried to keep um, the stories that I have the ones that are about myself, but yeah, as you're talking about this, I know there's stuff that I can dig through. Like on my dad's side, the best man at my great grandparents' wedding was Mel Blank. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you need to be yeah digging into that for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's stuff there, you know, and and I'm always hearing what's up, Doc. You know, and then people will say, "Oh, yeah, I'm sorry." Yeah, I said that well, to you recently. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "Well, it's okay," you know. And sometimes I'll tell them, you know, here here's a story that goes with that, right? You know? So uh, I got a letter at home that's uh, handwritten from Mel Blank to my grandma, you know, and, and I have that framed. And that's great. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that that's meant a lot to me. Uh, spending time with the Seattle Seahawks, uh, going out to training camp and just having valuable time uh, getting to meet the players. Yeah. And, you know, stuff like that um, where, you know, it's not those uh, really dire sure. situations, but fun stuff from my life that... Um, you know, cause I, I pull from the dark side enough. It'd be nice to lighten things up a yeah, little yeah. bit. Have a little contrast. Yeah. In yeah. Yeah. That's just worth digging into. And I know I've got a lot of stories about growing up on the farm and stuff I haven't even tapped into yet. So that was, I just liked that. And he talked about how when that, the villager, the griot would die, it was like a library burning down. So that's why they always had somebody else, if not multiple people hearing and retelling those stories all the time. So that's pretty cool. And then the last thing he talked uh, about his mom was a piece of advice he got from her because he was, you know, he was like 14 when he was in the comedy yeah. clubs. Which I thought was amazing. He talked about her driving him to the clubs. And I sitting mean, in the clubs. Uh, and, he, and then it, he goes, do you all know how long those car rides home was? Because he would be like, <laughs> why are you doing this? But he was like, you know, he had to put on a, a, a false front and be more aggressive than he really was so he wouldn't get eaten alive. Sure. So his mom had told him, sometimes you have to be a lion so you can be the lamb you really are. Uh. Which, uh, man, it transfers to all kinds of things to where you have to have a, a, a super strong front and opinion, maybe, or a, an opening line or a demeanor so that you can get to the gentle stuff. It's hard to lead with gentle in comedy. Yeah. But when you see people tell really transformational stories and be funny while they do it, it's pretty cool. And, and that's the lamb side of it. You know, they got your attention with the aggressiveness. What were we just talking about Bill Burr? Like, his last special, he's pretty aggressive up front. For sure. But then he had some tender things about his family towards the end. Yeah. And so if he opened up with that, sometimes I'd be like, this isn't the Bill Burr we know or that we've come to come to know. That's right. Yep. But it, it, he, it is, he, both of those are in the same body, the lamb and the lion. And some people just stay the lion the whole time. And it's <laughs> like, oh, that's enough of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and yeah. honestly, sometimes comics are the lamb too much and it's all, there's nothing there. There's yeah. nothing to bite into or to make me think. And it's just. Is this even comedy? There's just well, know. and that's where I think confessional comedy can be a little. It can be a bit much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I appreciate you sharing your story, but if you're going to share your story, just share your story. Don't come up saying, "Hey, I'm going to make you laugh." Right. If you're not, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be surprised with the laugh. In yeah, the middle of the story. for sure. Well, that's cool. So, so that was just a, a little recap of what Dave Chappelle said. But if you like him at all, even if you don't. I would uh, click the link in the show notes to his YouTube clip of the the acceptance speech. Yeah.
Thanks again, Doc Kennedy, for sitting in there with me and uh, discussing it. It was a great little video, just eight minutes long if somebody wants to check it out. And he definitely uh, hit some things right on the nose. Nailed it. And uh, all the more reason to like Dave Chappelle. That's it for this one, folks. Remember, the first 10 posted Apple reviews of 2020 will receive a free punchline and target checklist to make sure your jokes and your punchlines have the necessary elements. You're not just up there voicing an opinion that goes somewhere but not to the punchline. Uh, as simple as it seems, these checklists, though, are great reminders to help you zero in on your target and to make sure that you're uh, giving us enough of a surprise to trigger a laugh. Thanks again, Doc, for editing the podcast. Thanks again, Glenn Dennehy, for your support and all the others who support the podcast through Patreon. Stay safe out there, everybody, and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.